Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss Intel's bold moves under its new CEO and what this means for the semiconductor technology and fabrication of the future. We also discuss what Intel needs to focus on next to take back its scrappy reputation that it's lost in the past few years. We cover some sad news regarding LG, and then we head over to the camera corner where Wendy will discuss some camera hardware rumors. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast and Michael, the software sage, and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you done with tech? So, Wendy, what did you do this week? I take oh, no. it that's a nada? <laughs> what uh, a that's, lame... That's why you're a Padawan, that, man. That's, that's why you're a Padawan. I get it. I get it. Sometimes sometimes uh, hardware is, is difficult, okay? Sad. And, and things, Sad. And Wendy, <laughs> save us. Save us here. What have you been up to this week? I have a double. So the first thing that I got was a new monitor arm, and I would have had a monitor arm for this monitor, but when I bought it, I didn't realize that it didn't have a VESA mount. It's a Samsung 32-inch monitor, and I was having a really hard time doing shows and that kind of thing because the monitor was sitting directly on the desk. It wasn't high enough, and then the mic was in my face, and I was struggling to see the show notes and all of that stuff. So I found a VESA adapter specifically for my monitor. I had to buy a heavier duty monitor arm just because this is a pretty heavy monitor. Got that all set up. I'm absolutely loving it. It's so much more comfortable to view my monitor in general because now the center of it is eye level instead of the top of the monitor being eye level. So I can look directly at it, the monitor instead of down at it. Much better for my neck. Nice. And then on top of that, all of the parts to my standing desk leg kit have arrived. Yay. Nice. I have the MDF for the custom top cut. The two pieces aren't together yet, but that's the next step. And then all of my epoxy and mixes for the epoxy arrived so I can do the custom quote unquote rock top for my desk so you've decided instead of ordering an overpriced standing desk kit where you get all the stuff together you were going to build your own you're going to epoxy the top to make your own mm -hmm. table for it and then you've ordered the legs themselves to use and is it going to adjust up and down then as you want or how's it going to work yes yeah, so it is the exact same brand as yours so it'll be a sit sand desk that has the automatic adjustments where you can set it's going to be L-shaped. The problem that I have in the room I'm currently on, especially if you've listened to the last episode of Deal and Extend, you've heard me talk about it. I have this really small space that has to go in. My current desk, I use every single inch of it and need more room, but what was being offered was way too big. It was going to push the edges of where I had stuff and I was worried about the run-in 
to other things that are in the room. I love so this idea. Option. So you're creating your own desk, but you're using the hardware from Autonomous as exactly. far as the base. That is cool. What a great idea. Yeah. What's awesome about Autonomous stuff is like, by the way, uh, destinationlinux.network slash smart desk. Uh, Autonomous has a kit. You can just buy the, the, the metal parts and not do the top. So you can just make your own top. They, cause, and they even, when you're done, they'll want you to submit pictures to show what you made with their desk stuff. Yeah, so that's what I did. I bought the L-shaped leg kit and then building my own top for it. When I was doing research on desktops, I came across a couple really cool YouTube channels where they're using paint and epoxy techniques to make it look like natural stone. Nice. So I will have a rock-looking desktop. I love that. People use that for their countertops and kitchen countertops. It's a really inexpensive Mm -hmm. way to have beautiful kitchen countertops. I've not seen it for desks, but it makes sense. It would make a gorgeous desk as well. And plus you get the joy of having something you made yourself that you work on, which is pretty cool as well. So you can make any adjustments and things you want to it. So I have both now. I have the standard autonomous desk that is where my workstation is, and I have the L-shape. So if you watch Destination Linux podcast, you'll see me. And where I'm at right now is on the L shape, which is where all my recording equipment and computer and stuff is. I'd love them both. They're just absolutely amazing desks. And I stand all day. I actually don't put them in sitting position. I'll do my full work standing and I do all the episodes of Destination Linux and this one standing. And it just really like the exercise in the amount of activity that I get is so much higher now instead of just sitting all day for six to eight hours on end and standing up, you know, in between, it's just, it's been a huge lift in my physical activity during a work day. Nice. I'm super excited. I cannot wait until the top is done and it's all put together. One of the bummers of doing this technique on the top is once I apply the epoxy, it needs to sit for another seven days to make sure that it's fully cured and hardened before it's used. So it doesn't get scratched up immediately. It's a longer process to do this DIY version, but overall, I'm going to have the benefits that you have where I'm not sitting all of the time, plus a gorgeous looking desktop, hopefully. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're going to have to get pictures of that. Yes. (laughs) Oh, you bet. Yeah, I will totally share. I actually plan on video, videoing me pouring the epoxy on. We'll see how that goes. And it kind of depends on how much room I can find because my desk is going to be 20 square feet total. So smaller than the standard that you got, Ryan, but still one that'll be perfect for my space. The, the funny thing about this desk is that I was an early adopter for it. And now I'm kind of mad at myself because there's so much stuff you can do now that I couldn't do then. So I basically had either the choice of a black desk or a white desk. And then I also had to wait a month to get the desk. And that's it. That was my cho- my choices. So, And by the way, Autonomous <laughs> is not a sponsor of no. us. We just have an affiliate link because we like their stuff. But it's, it's funny because when my desk was delayed, I got a personalized email talking to me. You could tell it wasn't canned. Just like, hey, Bob's still building your desk. And then the next one is, hey, Bob's got it finished early. We're really excited. We're getting it out to you. Like it was just a really nice interaction that you don't see very often anymore with companies you do business with and i enjoyed that tremendously they also have ergonomic stools just fyi no don't no they do though 
So you know what I've been doing <laughs> hardware-wise? Wendy, I have something that I think is very cool. I've only been playing with this today. So I can't give you the full readout of durability and all of that stuff. But in my testing today, I have in my hands the Bose Tempo sunglasses. Now, these particular sunglasses nice. are made... The Tempo is actually the style. So they have like a sport style. Then they have... I don't know what they call the other styles. They have different styles they name them. But the idea behind them is that they have the Bose speakers built into the actual sunglasses themselves. Now, they're not this gigantic, huge band where you look like a freak walking around. They look like standard sports sunglasses. They're a little thicker on the band, but not unlike other styles out there. And the speakers kind of are right at the curve of your ear. And what's interesting is you can play music and you hear it really, really loud and crisp and clear. But other people around you don't hear it that loud. They might, if it's a really quiet room, kind of hear that there's music playing, but it's not very loud. Whereas in your ear, it would be blasting really loud. And I just, the sound quality out of these is fantastic. I also love that the lenses themselves are fully replaceable, like a lot of Oakley's glasses are, because they look like Oakley's, the tempo style. And then the nose pieces as well, the rubber pieces, they come with several different sets so you can get the right comfort for yourself in them. This was something that I purchased on a whim just because I thought it was kind of cyberpunky and cool and have really, as soon as my wife put them on, which usually she balks at all of my technology stuff that I buy, she's like, I want a pair because they just sound that good. And if you think about any time you're outside wanting to listen to an audiobook, whether you're wanting to listen to music, mowing the lawn, doing activities, sports, walking, running, gym activities, you could use these sunglasses. They're not going to fall off your face. Nice, tight fit, beautiful sound in them. I'm kind of blown away. I so far really, really dig these things. There is a mom that goes to our Thursday homeschool co-op and was telling me that she's had her pair now for a year, just over a year. Nice. And she also absolutely loves them. The biggest complaint I've heard from her with these at all is that she's driving kids around to their different activities and stuff. She'll have her sunglasses on and she's listening to something and the kids will be in the backseat talking to her and she doesn't hear them at all. So that could be a bonus. <laughs> I was going to say, is that really a complaint? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've used these before. They are very cool. They, it, it shocks you. You you have them in your hands and you're not actually putting them on your head. You you can you you depending on how loud you have it, you may or may not hear it at all. And then when you put it on, it sounds like you're in like a, 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 a you're having full heads, heads, headphones on and everything. It's very weird. And it's it's so nice to experience it over a long period of time because you don't have to have the worry of over the ear uh, headphones that are, you know, kind of have this. You know, some people like the noise cancellation and some people get like kind of weirded out by it. And then you, you have the earbuds that are in your ears and eventually they might be uncomfortable. But these sunglasses they're pretty much good to go at any time, and they're so nice. I don't personally own any, but I have used them uh, for a long time, for a, for a long time ago anyway, and they are very impressive. I'm I'm absolutely uh, super interested to see what they've done since like the four years ago when I played with them. I didn't know there was a four year ago version of these. Yeah, they they were they were an I don't know when they actually launched, but I remember playing with them in Best Buy. Uh, like a, a couple times, and then uh, I was at a conference, and some people had them, and I I played with them for like the whole conference, and it was well, I mean, 
I annoy them enough where they let me try it multiple times. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah, the sound has really blown me away. The style, it's a universal fit, but it's really, they have a couple different styles, universal fit. So depending if you have a really, really big head or a really, really small head, I don't know how that will pan out for you, but they fit very comfortably and the sound quality is just, it, it's fantastic if you compare it. You know, obviously, you compare it to a full range headset that you need a DAC for or something, you're not getting that quality out of it. I mean, it's Bose. It's kind of that synthesized sound, but it's really high quality when you compare it to something like the AirPods or the AirPod Pros. And like you said, Michael, eventually those AirPods and things, number one, I've almost run over them multiple times with my lawnmower because sometimes things fall out. They fall out. You move your head too fast or whatever. One falls out and you're still going and you just realize your music stopped because uh, you kind of forget they're there. Or the other thing is if they're in a the wrong position, then they start to hurt your ear. Whereas sunglasses, you're not going to have to worry about that so much. So, yeah, we'll see. I'll keep playing with these. But if you're in the market for something like this, if you're wanting to get more active, these Bose tempos, I've, I've not seen anything like them before. I'm pretty impressed. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. The DigitalOcean app platform is a service to build modern cloud-native apps. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and manage and scale apps easily, and including static websites as well. You simply just point your GitHub repository or your GitLab repository to the app platform to let it do all the heavy lifting for you. It does it gives you all for high scalability, zero infrastructure management. What does that mean exactly? Well, like I said, you just simply point your GitHub repository to it, and it will do the app runtimes, the dependencies, and it lets you push code into production in just a few clicks while also having to not really do any customization because the app platform uses open cloud native standards to automatically analyze your code, create containers, run them on Kubernetes clusters, and all and so much more, including also helping you with security by just creating, renewing, managing your SSL certificates, and much more. It has support for multiple programming languages like Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, and Ruby. It even has supports for Docker and container images. If you go to do.co slash dln, you get started with a $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. You can try all the awesome stuff that is available on DigitalOcean by going there to do.co slash DLN. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Hardware Addicts. So on to our core story this week. I wanted to talk about Intel because they made a big announcement that I think some people overlooked or maybe didn't hit all the headline news out there. And I think it's massive. But we need to kind of start out, I feel like, and set the foundation for where Intel has been. They've had a rough couple of years. I think we can all agree on that. This was the king of the CPU world, and they have been essentially dethroned. And I love Intel, so this is not anything negative. It's just it is what it is. It's namely in reputation. I mean, they still did $70 billion in sales, so I don't want to exaggerate it, but they've they really were unstoppable there for a while. Nobody was really competing with them. And then AMD's come in, and of course, you've got the seven nanometer architecture out there, Samsung, Apple, Qualcomm, TSMC, AMD, all of these companies coming in, capturing huge portions of the market. Of course, you have Apple leaving Intel. You have AMD making partnerships across the board with all the major tech companies and things, taking 20% of the PC market in record time, I would say, considering AMD was practically going bankrupt prior to all of these big moves. So Intel's had a rough year, rough couple of years, I guess we would say. But they have a new CEO, 
And I wanted to highlight this portion because nobody's really talking about this. The new CEO, Pat Gelsinger, takes the rain, took the reins of Intel back in February. And he has really exciting history, I think, when you break it down. So Pat was an Intel quality control technician, a design engineer that worked on the Intel 8386. I have one of those hanging up on my wall. Great processor. Architect of the 8486, which I also have one of those. Vice President of the Intel Products Group, General Manager of Intel's Desktop Products Group, and Intel's first Chief Technology Officer. So in the prior episodes, when we talked about all the great things about AMD, a lot of it revolved, in my mind, around Lisa Sue's leadership, right? She's a bona fide engineer. And I think that went a long way to turning AMD around the way that it has moved in the past few years. When you look at Intel's new CEO, you have the same thing coming back again, right? A real engineer that's contributed and worked on amazing products throughout the year that they've put in place. And I think that is very exciting in itself that Intel has a completely new leadership in place. The big announcement, however, is that Gelsinger is going to be taking manufacturing and expanding it here in the U.S. with a $20 billion investment to build these new factories in Arizona. So this is going to bring a ton of jobs. And it's also really interesting that they're doubling down on their U.S. manufacturing. And they state specifically that they want to be a major provider of foundry capacity in the U.S. and Europe to serve customers globally. And this, of course, was really surprising, I think, to a lot of people, including myself, especially if you take the fact that Intel has recently signed a deal with TSMC, who makes AMD's chips as well, to kind of give them that bridge that they need to get their manufacturing from that 14 nanometer, some 10 nanometer, up to catch up with AMD and the rest of the companies that are working on their silicon. They're still, though, planning for the future here to build their chips in the United States. That's, what do you guys think of that? I think it's very cool. I think it's interesting that they're, they, they went to the TSMC for the purpose of like maybe a stopgap. So in the process of doing this big build out, that, uh, that going to the outsourcing of the chips makes it possible so they don't have to spend the effort in trying to do both at the same time, trying to manufacture and also to build out a new manufacturing facility, which would be very difficult to do logistically. So it does make sense that they would do this, this split factor. I think it's very interesting. I, I didn't hear about this until now. So this, the, the, the fact that Intel is now having an engineer at their head, just like AMD is, I, that's going to be super exciting because I, I mean, agree. the, the biggest va- factor of AMD's changing and be, like when Lisa t- Sue took over, AMD completely pivoted because they started focusing on making the best hardware and they started making people more interested in the battle of CPUs again because for years no one cared because it was just Intel always. And then AMD picks up and creates this uh, you know robust structure of the thread rippers and the and the Ryzen stuff and everybody's excited about it. Every time there's a new one comes out, it's it's everybody talks about it. But Intel's new chips come out and it's like, uh, okay, sure. So to have someone take over this position as a CEO where it's not just an executive person who happens to be like all about the business and the the numbers and right. not the hardware itself, it's I think that is very exciting. Well, one of the things that this really does that 
I, I believe a lot of the news has missed. And I guess I should say right now that I have a small amount of stock that I own in both Intel and AMD. Aren't we supposed to like say that when you have stock in these companies when you're talking about them? I, but I, I have uh, stock in both Intel and AMD. Uh, allegedly. For, for people familiar yeah, with the matter. Allegedly or whatever. Things. No, I, I really do actually have it. But I like the allegedly because that's what lawyers always <laughs> say. But anyways, one of the things that I was thinking about as somebody best, again, I have a small amount of stock with Intel, is that this fills in the gap with chip manufacturing. Right now, there's news on out there about the automotive industry. It's going to cost them billions of dollars because of, sh of chip shortages. The CPUs, you know, are having major problems with phones and everything else with chip shortages. GPUs, chip shortages. Everybody has a shortage of chips. There's not enough manufacturing and there's not enough machines that make these chips because there's only like one or two manufacturers of the machines that all these companies have to buy that can actually do this fabrication process. They don't even have enough of those. So Intel coming in using TSMC, which we know is already tapped, right? They've got AMD and others that they're building for. Intel's going to try to use them as a stopgap, like you mentioned, but also when they get their manufacturing ramped up here in the United States, this is going to allow them to fill in that gap with all the extra chips that they can manufacture there that basically 80% of it's made in China right now. It's really a smart business move to keep investing in the U.S., although I think most people found it quite unexpected when most companies try to save money, especially when they've not had the hottest quarters or the hottest reputation, I would say, out there for a while that they would double down on their manufacturing here. But from a long-term plan, I think this is just brilliant. I think that comes into the difference between having someone who doesn't know anything about the actual manufacturing side of it, but they're running the business and somebody who's been on the inside, they know what it takes to build one from start to finish. And now they're leading the company. It's a completely different insight and overview for what you want to do. I am so excited for a while now. Well, heck, I think since the beginning of last year, I've been saying I want to see competition between the two. I want there to be a point where I can't decide if I'm going AMD or Intel. And this feels like the beginning of that. Yes, absolutely. They also formed a new standalone business unit called Intel Foundry Services, and it's going to be led by a semiconductor industry veteran, Dr. Randhar Thakur. I know I messed that up, but T-H-A-K-U-R. IFS will be differentiated from other foundry offerings with a combination of leading edge process technology and packaging, committed capacity in the U.S. and Europe, world-class IP portfolio, you know, all that stuff. But here's the important part, including x86 cores as well as arm and risk 5 ecosystem ips that was a really interesting sentence they put oh. at the end of that kind of blurb yeah the risk 5 so, part is wow yeah so they're they're taking another industry leader putting them in there somebody who's very experienced in this stuff to run a separate unit to kind of keep both of these things going in tandem with each other real powerhouse setup, meaning they're setting themselves up to win here. Whether they can pull it off, time will tell, but they are certainly have set themselves up to win. I love Intel for a lot of reasons. Intel is ranked very highly in its work that it's done to reduce slave and forced labor, and a lot of that's because it's manufactured here in the United States. That's very important to me. It makes me a huge fan of Intel, keeping fabrication here and keeping slave labor out of it, because I don't want to buy technology 
that has child labor involved in it at all. Most normal human beings shouldn't want that. And Intel's a leader in that area. It brings thousands of jobs to a market, which has been greatly impacted by COVID. They're also a huge open source company. They have done so much for open source over the years. And you really can't take that away from Intel. And those of us who love open source like myself, which help close things like the digital divide, as well as just being important, I think, in pushing technology forward. Intel is one of those companies that's been there from the start. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's I mean, the people give AMD a ton of credit for the open source stuff that they do where they have their drivers open source and they they put a lot of stuff in, in that space. And it's it is great that AMD does that. And it's 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 fantastic. But they've only been doing it for six, seven years or so, whereas Intel has been doing it for multiple decades. So Intel has has always known as long as I can remember that open source is a fundamental value to technology as a whole. So that they embrace all of that when they to, when they create drivers, uh, I, they don't have a proprietary version of their drivers. It is just all open source drivers, which is what another reason why I'm excited by this news, because I've always been a fan of Intel and I've never been choosing like AMD because of anti Intel. I've been wanting to use AMD because the NVIDIA issues I've had and that just kind of made sense to do both the CPU and the GPU. Whereas if with Intel can ramp up their, um, you know, their efforts and they're making their, they're bringing it into a, you know, a US built manufacturing plant and having the engineer being in control of how it works. I mean, this is super exciting. In addition to the open source factor, they have all the pieces that you'd really want a company to have. It's just, they've had such a lax of execution for so many years that yeah, it's this true. is super exciting. Well, I love AMD as well. Uh, Lisa Sue, I'm just a huge fan of, but I'm like Wendy. I want competition. It was lame before when Intel dominated and all we heard about was Intel and the new Intel and AMD released a new chip and everyone would yawn. It's lame now when Intel releases a chip and, R and AMD is basically the only thing that gets any news headlines because they're the only ones innovating. I want that head-to-head -head competition where they are just beating on each other's door and you don't know which one to choose because they're both awesome and one month Intel's the best and the next month AMD's the best and this fight to the top keeps going because we as consumers get better technology for it and technology of course progresses forward much much faster. When I think about pieces that are missing from Intel like if you were running Intel today what would you what do you think Intel needs to do next? So they've put a great process in place. We all kind of agree with the manufacturing decisions that they've made. I think it's quite brilliant to fill in the gaps that we have in chip manufacturing right now. What would you do next? As much as I like Intel in terms of I mean, I like AMD as, as well. As much as I like Intel, the thing that always has annoyed me is the IME. And that that's the yes, the, the Intel management engine is it's basically an extra chip that is basic trying to pretend that it's a security thing, but it's also a chip that you have no idea what's going on with it. And it's it, it effectively seems like a like a, a chip that controls outside of your ability to actually do anything with it. And it's just it's just so annoying and it makes no sense that Intel would do that because of all the process and they have of the open source philosophy and all that stuff they do. Why is it even there? 
I agree a hundred percent. They have done so much damage. Now it's it's unfair damage in a way because AMD has a very similar technology platform security processor in place, but all the attention's been on Intel. Now we don't know how bad AMD's is because all the attention's been on Intel for having the IME. A lot of people say AMD's is not as bad as far as what it controls and things. But essentially, this chip, even when you cut power to it, can still do stuff. And that's why it concerns a lot of people. It's an attractive target for hackers. It's got top-level access to everything, completely bypasses the operating system. It's a major danger point when you think about computers. And really, I think Intel would make huge reputation gains by coming out and changing the way they operate that IME, letting people turn it off entirely if they want to, but even better, open source it. Just open source it out there. It's not like you have something that AMD doesn't have. You're not at the point now where you're so far ahead of AMD that if you release this out there, you're going to give away trade secrets that they'll never catch up again, right? I mean, it's not happening. So open sourcing it isn't going to hurt, and it would go a long way to getting the reputation back. Yeah, it might even make it possible for that chip to be used by the open source community for other purposes and maybe you know, making it useful rather than people worrying about it. Originally, when you asked the question, I was like, basically, the IME is the first thing that popped in my head. But it, I also was kind of thinking, like, is this manufacturing thing, would that possibly a- affect the meltdown inspector stuff? Maybe they could adjust and fix those things where you don't have to deal with mitigations all the time. Like, yeah, you would hope so because you have an entire new fabrication process that would probably allow them to compensate for that now. Whereas that was the problem before is that it was mostly a hardware fix. And once you get the manufacturing set up on a, a new chip, obviously the expense would be astronomical, which was my understanding anyways. I'm not an expert in those areas with those two issues, but I think that they could definitely circumvent that now with the new manufacturing, the new chip processes that they're using. That's awesome. I, I, I look forward to that because I know that there's people who say that, that those needs to be addressed and they only can do it through hardware. So hopefully this new manufacturing will do that. Uh, but I think your idea about the whole open sourcing of the IME is is very interesting. And what do they have to lose? It could really come out as being rebels, right? And And be just seen by the community as kind of taking back their reputation. That's one thing I would have liked to hear from them is that Wendy... Anything in your mind that Intel you would do differently if you ran the company? They're already starting to do that with the change in who is running the company. The next step for me looking over all of this is to actually deliver. Some of the news that we've covered over the last year has been, hey, we're making these promises. Oh, crap. We can't fulfill those promises. This is now they've got Someone who can make a plan and knows how to get there. So let's see these great ideas that they have actually be delivered. I'm in that kind of skeptical zone where over the last year there's been enough of that. We've got great. Oh, never mind. That until I see the great, I'm going to be on the sidelines. I think that's totally fair. You know, this is exciting moves, but you're right. They've got to actually show up and do something with this. I think TSMC, obviously using them, we're going to see some exciting things from Intel, but I hope, and knowingly to sue, they won't be sitting around waiting for Intel to surpass them. So there's just so many new players in this arena now that weren't there before 
that Intel has to contend with. They've got a long road ahead of them. I'm excited about them entering the GPU market. I've been saying that for since the start of the show. I know they have some benchmarks they've released on one card that they have as an external GPU that, you know, is a very low end. It's kind of going after the low end market. So not the excitement you would kind of hope for, but I'm excited they're in the GPU market and think they could do some big things there. Also, Intel hurt themselves heavily in the cost for performance area. When they were king, they priced everything like they were king. And that made a lot of people sour, made a lot of people not fans of Intel. So they really got to go back to their roots and think, can we give a lot of value to our consumers, especially in a time like this, even when CPUs and these chips are very scarce and hard to come by and make a lot of fans out there. I think that would go a long way since clearly Intel's thinking about their long-term plans here to making fans of their product. Yeah. Competition plays a role in that where they were king for so long, they really didn't have to have a good price performance ratio because if you wanted the performance, that was the only place to go. Now they're in a situation that in order to compete with what AMD is doing, they have to have a good price to performance ratio. You could say the same thing about NVIDIA because NVIDIA was kind of the king at one point when, you know, before six, seven years ago, when AMD wasn't in, wasn't being ran by Lisa Sue, there was uh, issues where NVIDIA was just the go-to regardless. So that's, you know, the same kind of situation. And NVIDIA pivoted very quickly. They started fighting as soon as possible. And now you're at a situation where you, if you choose NVIDIA or you choose an AMD, you're probably good to go either way and you're going to get a good option and the prices are relatively similar and they're not, ex- I mean, depending on if you get one of like those massive Titan uh, cards or whatever, those are expensive, but like for the vast majority of them, they're not insanely expensive. They're a co- price comparative of that. So they're, the value is reasonable. So if Intel were to uh, do that in terms of pr- the cost per performance is just ripe for Intel to do it. Well, there's an interesting rumor out there, Michael, that may catch your attention. Um, one of the companies supposedly partnering with Intel through this process is Microsoft to create a custom chip for Microsoft, much like Apple has created a custom chip for their machines. So I know that's a big cash potential there. Obviously, Microsoft's free flowing with lots and lots of cash there. It will be interesting to see. Also, with that partnership with those engineers combined, we'll be able to come up with in this new realm here. But my hope is that since Microsoft loves open source now (laughs) and Intel has loved open source, that whatever we get is more open source focused hardware. Yeah, When you first said when when I first saw that Microsoft was doing this whole, you know, custom chip thing, I was like, oh, yay, more exclusives. Can't wait. Uh, But then having Intel attached to it, (laughs) does kind of make me go uh, 20% less snarky. Right. We'll see. We'll see. Well, while Intel is ramping up, there was another thing in the news I want to cover real quick. LG is ramping down, at least in its phone division. LG has confirmed it's officially shutting down its mobile phone unit. This made me sad. I don't know why, because I haven't had an LG phone in forever, but it just made me sad. Because don't they own WebOS now? Well, sort of. They own WebOS in a way. They don't own all of WebOS because there's the WebOS open source edition. There's WebOS that HP still sort of has rights to. Qualcomm has some stuff with it. It's it's a mess on that factor. But yes, WebOS on and LG's TVs are powered by WebOS. And 
always been a big fan of uh, WebOS. We talked about it before. Uh, I, I think both me and Ryan, we both admit to being fanboys oh, of yeah. WebOS. I think that they it's a fantastic... It just needs to come back. And every time phones come up, I want to talk about it, but I try to hold back. But in this case, it actually is relevant, so there you go. It, it, it is relevant. <laughs> right? I think it's actually more relevant than we realize. I think it goes to show you that Android and iOS is the biggest limiter to phone manufacturers right now. These OSs, these two operating systems monopolize the entire market. They're boring. Everyone is bored. I don't care if you're on an Android or iOS. They are both extremely boring operating systems at this point. Every release, nobody cares about. I remember the days when Android would have a new release. You couldn't wait to find out what the candy-based name was going to be, and you couldn't wait to see all the amazing features that were rolled into it. Now, I don't even care about the news. Maybe it's reported somewhere. I don't know, but nobody cares. And because they're just the, the it's just iterative little tiny upgrades. And I think it's going to cause more casualties because of this two operating system setup going on with more companies. BlackBerry, they've got to be next. HTC, OnePlus, all of these companies got to be struggling because there's really two big manufacturers. You got Apple and you have Samsung out there that are monopolizing the entire market. Other companies are trying to take risks with their hardware, like you had the LG Wing, which, you know, it's kind of, it was innovative at least. It was different, but it was also like, what? Why? It was a phone that another phone turned sideways on. It, it just it was cool, but it was weird. <sighs> like, the, you're talking about the one that was like, it, it created, created like a T shape. Yeah. 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 It's cool. And I don't know why it exists, but. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But LG also is like, the thing about LG is they used to make, the best phones like i'm pretty sure the nexus 4 was an lg phone yeah it, well was it the 4 or the 5 one of i know them i owned both. the lg version and i really liked it it was one of my favorite phones and i've actually owned other lg phones and overall i really liked their hardware i'm bummed that they're no longer going to be supplying phones but i think it does come down to the fact that the two major players in hardware for cell phones are now Apple and Samsung. Yeah. I, th I think it is. I think LG made both the four and the five. And I, the, the thing they might have. The thing about the LG is weird because uh, I've had multiple LG phones over the years, including the Nexus devices, but I've also had those V, the, the V series. So like I had a V10 and a V20. Uh, and those were really good phones. Now, the weird thing about it is that you also could get a bunch of garbage from LG. So, there's this, uh, I have an LG Destiny as well, and I had an LG Stylo, something like that. Some of these phones were very good, and some of them are very powerful and priced reasonably at some point in time. And then there's other cases where they made some terrible decisions for phones, and the phones were just, like, not even low-end, but, like, sub-low-end. This is the whole HP issue. They have the same problem that HP has. HP can make some amazing laptops. They also have some of the absolute worst laptops ever made on the market. <laughs> yeah. And it, this, when you slap your name on stuff like this, I get the idea that you want to both tackle the low-end market, the mid-market. Heck, maybe that's the only market you want to tackle because Samsung and Apple have the whole market collapsed on in, for the high-end market. But you still you're putting your brand on something. It needs to be respectable. I think Google Pixel devices show that you could have a low end hardware 
but still a great phone overall. It's not flagship specs, but still does everything you need that they slapped their name on. LG could have done that. Same with HP. You can have a low-end laptop, but don't make it such a crummy piece of junk that it's laughable. And that, to me, is really what makes companies' brands actually matter to the consumers when they know that they're going to get something at least passable. Yeah, LG has... Uh, this this current phone so they had the the v series and that stuff but they made it kind of confusing because they kept changing what number was the m- newest version and versus the whatever and they had like the one of the s like the v 20 s or whatever was different from like was not as good as the v 30 and it was weird because depending on your range it was it didn't make any sense but they also had this range of phones that in order to save money they put ads in the operating system. So you would just open your app drawer and all of a sudden, all of a sudden an app, just an ad shows up to you. And you're like, what is happening? There's so many problems with that. You're targeting the poor people on purpose, right? Because if you have a really expensive phone, you're not going to have to deal with that crap. And number two is the people who may have money, but don't want to spend a ton of money on a phone are going to be mad at you too, because you put stupid ads on the phone. Yes. Yeah. And also LG had the, a different problem where they made a very good phone and the name of it was kind of weird because it doesn't feel like a brand. It feels like a, I don't, it just feels like they just, you know, just came up with a random word and threw it on there. So they have a, their current like big phone was uh, the LG velvet and it's a 5g phone. It's got really good specs in terms of camera for screen and whatever, but it's not like it's not like super high end, ridiculous thousands and thousands of dollars type of hardware, but it's relatively powerful and you can get that phone now for like three hundred, three hundred fifty dollars like new just from LG. So that price with the hardware that's in it is super impressive and it would be a fantastic device if people one knew it existed. And two, uh, it, they didn't call it a velvet because that's not it's not really a brand you could continue on because it doesn't really convey like what you could change change the name. It doesn't to. convey anything with the phone unless they put velvet on yeah, the back, they, which would be kind of cool. It's just the color of it. It's the the back of the color. Throwback. Yeah. Anyway, the back of the device is the as a velvet color, but it is a nice phone, and it's the problem with it is those things I mentioned, but they also released it with a ridiculously high flagship price. So if you go back and look and I think it was like October of last year, the Velvet came out or some around there and it was like 700, 750 to get it. And the hardware of the time that the, the price did not match. So people just made fun of it and ignored it. And then like three months later, you get it for $350 or $400 or something like that. If they would just have started that phone with that price, it would have made giant waves of holy crap. You have that much power and that reasonable price? Probably with the limits and chips and everything else, they had to come out around that price point to try to break uh, even. And now they have to kind of sell their inventory. But you're going to see a lot of sales going on because they're going to sell out all their current inventory. And if you have an LG phone now, they said they're going to continue to provide updates for an unspecified period <laughs> of time. So good luck with that. Yeah. Not long. You might, you might want to start looking for a different device, but I'm sad to see them go. I'm, you know, they were the number three manufacturer of phones in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they were number three in sales. So when I'd say that other companies are next, this one was number three. Number one and number two is Apple and Samsung. 
They're number three. Was it possible number three because of all of the terrible phones? Probably. They had a market share of high, medium, and low-end phones, but so does BlackBerry, HTC, and everybody else. Mm. So I can't imagine other companies are not going to fall after this. And a lot of it is Google Android and their privacy implications, their boring updates. They just have not done anything in this operating system to make it exciting. And all of these hardware partners that they have that are making these devices are suffering because nobody wants to take the bold move to bring a new OS into the market or rebring webOS back into the market. Right. Also, the fact that they had access to webOS and then never used it is also disappointing. Maybe, you know, the, the thing that kind of makes it sad is that there is a, a third sort of competitor, but it's controlled by Samsung, so it doesn't really count. And uh, I, I, I really want webOS to come back. I know that it's a pipe dream, but it would be amazing. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it is 100% open source. It is You can self-host it, plus they do security audits. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Thank you, Bitwarden, for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Attic. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner. There is some fun stuff going on. One of the best things about this time of year, spring, is when most of these camera companies are dropping their new stuff. And the first one we have is the Nikon Z9. So while I probably won't be buying this one, it really shows where the industry is headed. This is a mirrorless camera, Ooh. and it is their first flagship camera body that is a mirrorless plus it has a stacked full frame sensor now i've talked about a stacked sensor before but to refresh basically what this sensor has is all of the signal processing circuitry is on the back of that sensor so one it keeps it from interfering with other things Plus, because the memory is side by side with your photo diode, all your metal wiring is behind that. Plus, the signal processing is right behind that. So you have this three-layer sandwich. It makes it extremely fast. These are fast enough, and you need these for these mirrorless camera bodies because as you're autofocusing and doing other things like that, it being able to read the light, what's going on, quickly send it to the signal processing circuitry allows it to say, oh, we're off a little bit and adjust that lens very, very quickly. So super awesome technology there. And I love seeing that expanded. Let me ask real yeah. quick, why wouldn't you get this camera? You said you weren't necessarily going to buy it. Is that because you're looking at the Sony still in the mirrorless world or the price that they put this one at? We don't know what the price is yet because it hasn't actually launched yet. So we don't know price, but it'll probably be pretty price comparable 
to the top of the line Sony mirrorless. One of the reasons why I probably wouldn't get this camera is because Nikon discontinued the ability to have it fixed somewhere else. So you have ah. to send it directly to Nikon. And I'm just... That's a big mistake. I don't want to have to ship it that far. Yeah. It really has to do with the repairability of them. I've only had to have one of my Nikon cameras so far repaired. And it was really user error. <laughs> Dropped it. And, you know, they don't handle it really well when <laughs> you accidentally throw them on the ground. But that's that is a point. very good pro tip. Thank you very much. <laughs> I am extremely clumsy, which is why I have a vest that cameras can hook to. I have a tripod that they're typically on. And then a neck strap is always a very good idea. Safety third. Well, I guess you don't have magic hands. What do we know about <laughs> this camera? The other thing that we know is it will have eight K video. 8K video. Nice. And that comes from using that full frame stacked CMOS sensor. We also know that they're going to have a new image processing engine, but we really don't know what that is, how fast it is, what those upgrades are going to be. There are some rumors that'll have a 16 bit raw option. Pretty close to the same size as some of those Sony cameras. The guess is that they're actually using a Sony sensor, which I would think they were too, just because Sony is the one who started this technology. They are the ones who first made the stack sensor. They make sensors for a lot of different cameras. There's a good possibility that if you have a high-end phone, the little tiny camera sensor that's in there is a Sony sensor. They make sensors all over the place. That's cheating. They need to make their own. Some do, but usually even Apple goes out to Sony for camera sensors just yeah. because they do an amazing job and have great technology when it comes to manufacturing these. I'm interested to see what the total specs will be on this device. I'm I'm curious. Like I said, I don't necessarily want to own one but as we talked last week and is the dslr dying this kind of shows that we are moving in that direction and that also brings up the second topic which are the new camera lenses that are rumored to be coming out sometime later this year these will all be for their rf line and their rf is the mirrorless body camera mount. There we go. So Nikon has this amazing mirrorless camera that they have in the works. And now from Canon, as they have dropped these DSLR lenses, are rumored to be having several new lenses that are on the professional level for their mirrorless camera body. So one of them is a 100 millimeter f2.8 macro I have to say, I absolutely love macro lenses. If you're shooting anything that's really tiny, but you want it super big in the frame, macro is the way to go. I have a couple manual focus macro lenses, and I love them. Nice. The other two is a 400 millimeter, also 2.8, and a 600 millimeter f4. Both of those are going to be really big lenses, letting in a lot of light for their size. They really are made for a working 
camera body. Price point on these, we're looking really on the high end. The estimated cost for that 100 millimeter macro is probably going to be right around $2,000 minimum. I'll take 10. Oh, And then we sell them we'll for 2500 right What do you guys think about these new rumors that are flowing around, especially as compared to the topic? Last well, I episode? think you nailed it from last week when you were talking about the SLR cameras being dead and the fact that everybody's going mirrorless. Clearly, with these announcements, Canon and Nikon are headed that direction. I think based on my use of mirrorless versus a DSLR camera, it completely makes sense. I just enjoy Sony's mirrorless camera more than any other camera I've owned in the past. And I've had DSLRs, and obviously I keep them in auto mode because who doesn't? Right, because that's, that's what Wendy. pros do. <laughs> that's what pros do. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I just I get amazing shot out of it. I get amazing video out of it. It's just adaptable to any situation that I want. And I think this is where the market is going to go. And I definitely believe the high-end market is where if I was running Canon or Nikon, I would be focusing on because, again, I think your average users are going to use their phones now. That's every new phone that comes out. What's the focus? Oh, new camera, new camera, new camera. So most people have basically, unless they're doing professional family photo shoots or sporting events or other, otherwise, are have fallen back to utilizing their phones. So what you have left in this market very heavily is your video equipment, your camera equipment for hobbyists and professional photographers. And so you're going to have a much higher price tag that can come with these things, but you're also going to have much, much better features. And you're going to need to put technology in there that the phones absolutely can't even come close to. And I think all of that points to mirrorless. I really hope they don't drop the intro market. I think that is an extremely important place to stay in we saw Olympus previously dropped their intro market and they're gone now. <laughs> you need a starter camera to get people onto that platform. If you don't have a starter one, they're going to look for a camera of, okay, I want my first quote unquote real camera and I don't want to spend $3,000 on a camera body. I want to start on the lower end and figure this out first. If you don't have those entry level camera bodies, you're going to lose out on that end of the market. Totally too. true. Uh, I would. I never would have got a the camera I have if I hadn't been able to get a starter camera and like see that as an option. So I, I'm curious, what is the like the intro market of cameras? Do you mean like what would what would they need to offer? Because I, I think that the point Ryan is making about most people is going to be totally true for the mainstream. But I also think that the intro starter market is very important because I personally super cheap. So if I can get a cheap device that's does the job, that sounds great. But what would that be like 400, 500 or less? I think right around that range is where the starter, the intro has been in that market. And I think they still need to keep a camera within that range in a kit form. So it's not just the camera body you're getting for that four or $500. You're getting at least one lens with it. Now, will it be the highest end glass ever? Absolutely not. But you're not going to get people falling in love with taking pictures on a camera with interchangeable lenses unless they actually get to try that out first. And most people are not starting off in this high end range. 
Though I do agree with Ryan in the fact that they are going to make their most money long term with the professional line of bodies and lenses. Do this. Keep making super awesome sensors and these high-end camera bodies because those innovations can trickle down. These mirrorless cameras can be used more and more for filmmaking, high-speed photography, just doing your basic podcast because that technology that is in that sensor, the one that allows the communication between the lens and the sensor to see what's in focus and what is not, is exactly what you need if you're doing a vlog, if you're using it as your podcast camera. That is the technology that creators have to have to have good quality productions. We'll see what happens. We all It looks like everything you predicted about going mirrorless is in fact happening. And we're out of time. So that's it. Our 33rd episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Destination Linux network. Head to destinationlinux.network to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another full-frame stacked episode of Hardware Addicts where we keep you all informed with all the best intel. <laughs>